0: Brand new month, O.G. Happy August to you, my friend. It's only one hundred and fifty, so it's a month of transition, isn't it? In Texas, it's in like a lion and out like a lion.
1: <laughs> yeah, I like on the news. The guy, the the weather guy, was like, "Just think, in two months it'll be October. This will fly by." It's like, have you stepped outside? It does, days <laughs> like today don't fly by.
0: They they do not. Uh, the thing that does fly by, uh, but we want to pay special attention to, is our usual Monday salute to the troops, which we do on behalf of Navy Federal Credit Union. So if You got my, my America t-shirt on. You do have your America t-shirt on. On behalf of the men and women making podcasts here in the basement and the men and women serving their members at Navy Federal Credit Union, salute to our troops. Let's go stack some Benjamins together, shall we?
2: Hurrah. Hoorah. Ignition sequence start.
3: Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff.
2: Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. i'm joe's mom's neighbor doug and i hope you're breathing right now because today is the anniversary of the day the element oxygen was discovered to help you fully breathe in all life has to offer we welcome the author of the 12-hour walk world record-breaking explorer colin o'brady also in our headline segment big news from stock stockpiling company uh stockpile We'll spill the beans, or, you know, in this case, the stocks. Plus, we'll also throw out the Haven Lifeline to Paul, who's wondering how he can enjoy early retirement abroad. Take me with you, Paul. I make a great mojito. And then we'll walk on over to my trivia. And now, two guys who challenge you to hold your hand on the stroll to Benjaminville, Joe and O-J-J-J-J-G.
0: happy Monday to you, stackers. Welcome back to another week of the Stacky Benjamin Show. I'm Joe Salcia. I average Joe money on Twitter. And what an amazing beginning. I was searching for the word. I couldn't. I had so many words. I'm like, is it beautiful? Is it wonderful? Is it fantastic? I think I'm going to go with amazing, OG. We've got an amazing month of shows. Kicking it off here with Mr. Cullen O'Brady today. And as Doug alluded to, this guy's a four-time world record holder. In 2016, he set the Explorers Grand Slam and the Seven Summit Speed Record. You know what the Seven Summit Speed Record is?
1: I can put it together in my mind. It must be the the fastest to climb all seven peaks, one on each continent, one on each continent. The highest. That
0: record since been broken. However, he also went across Antarctica. We're going to talk to him about that today, about resilience in your planning. He was a commodities trader as well. O G. So this guy's got some financial chops. He knows uh, the world of money, cool. knows the world of endurance, knows the world of training. I think all those apply when it comes to going after your goals. We got that. We also have uh, kind of a disturbing headline about uh, an app that we have recommended in the past. Making a change, we'll talk about what that change might mean to you. But before all that, this episode sponsored by State Farm. that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. And now a word from our sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your money to dream big? Do you want your money to be a total self-starter? Are you annoyed that your money doesn't work hard enough? Well, don't worry. Betterment is here to help. Your money's breaking a sweat while you can be breaking bread. You'll never picture your money in the same way again. Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit betterment.com to get started. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. All right, Colin O'Brady, endurance athlete, waiting in the wings. So let's get moving.
3: Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show. I was stacking Benjamin's headlines.
0: So I was sitting here, OG, getting ready for a couple of talks I'm giving at uh, some companies about financial planning. And I come across this text from somebody who said, Hey, did you know that stockpile has changed to a subscription fee? And then I get a note from you about, I'm going to say within three minutes of that hey we've got a we've got to look into this uh stockpile thing so this is a headline from doctor of credit of course you may have seen this all over the place stockpile a stock gifting platform known for their credit card funding is transitioning to a paid membership model so the days og of just going out and buying a stockpile yeah days of buying a stockpile
1: uh gift card and it was already expensive at a dollar a trade. It was
0: expensive.
1: Yeah. Which doesn't seem like a lot. You're like, come on, it's a dollar. But when you do it against a
0: ten dollar stock purchase, you know. Right, twenty five bucks at a time or whatever it might be. Yeah. Giving yeah. a one one thousandth of a share of Tesla to your nephew. Well now it'd be like one tenth based on the market, but yeah. Yeah. As as whatever. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm thinking about a year ago. <laughs> what too soon? <laughs> uh, what do you make of this OG? Oh, it's super frustrating,
1: man. It's like, I don't have a problem with people making money. I don't have a problem with companies pivoting, any of that sort of stuff. The transition actually already happened. Uh, It was July the 15th when they said, okay, you have until July 15th to solve this. Otherwise, we're charging you five bucks a month. Or you can buy a lifetime pass for $20. And when I see that stuff, and I think to myself, okay, they're giving away a lifetime pass for 20 bucks per custodian, you know, so like dad has the account. So in our case, I've got the account, then there's three custodial accounts, you know, with each one of the kids. And I think they're going to sell me that for 20 bucks or five bucks per account per month. So $20 now or $15 a month per account, right? $180 for the year. It seems like it's a gigantic quick money grab and they're about to close. (laughs) Like that's what I think. Because you know there's people going, uh, whatever, five bucks. But if your account was like ours, I mean my daughter's got 450 bucks in it. It would take six years and that account would go away or 10 years. You know what I mean? Like like at five dollar, like and how do you get the five bucks in there? They just sell something out of your account at a dollar a trade. So now it's really six bucks. It's just super frustrating. It is what yeah, it is. Yeah, because
0: to be clear, stackers, those who use stockpile might find the $4.95 monthly fee worthwhile, this piece says. However, here's the deal. If you do nothing, you're going to be charged the $4.95. You will yeah. be charged. So if you have a stockpile account right now, you may have already been charged once.
1: You already got hit with it. So here's, here's some of the other slimy things that came uncovered on this. So I was like, okay, well, we'll just ACAT the account. We'll just transfer the account. That's, what, that's the phrase that we use. But we'll just transfer the account to the kids' accounts at Fidelity or Schwab. Well, you can't transfer partial shares. Oh, God. Okay. Uh, this whole thing's set up to be basically that, so I can't transfer Okay, well, um, and it's a $75 account transfer fee. It's in the terms and conditions. So not only can you not transfer it, but if you try, they're going to liquidate your account and charge you 75 bucks. So you can't transfer it in-kind to another another place. So you're left with the only choice, and I've worked through this on our side, so this is how we did it. Sell everything. So yep, a dollar trade, dollar trade, dollar trade, dollar trade. My kids had accumulated a bunch of individual positions. Sell it all the cash, and then your bank account is already linked to it. Transfer the cash back to your bank account, which is free, and just let the account be at zero. They'll eventually close it if there's no money in it. So that's what we did. And and then we're just going to put the cash back in. You know, there's going to be some tax issues a little bit. My one son had um, almost two grand in his account. So he had a pretty decent amount of capital gains in there. You know, so we're going to have to deal with that as we deal with it. But it's better than five bucks a month and just have to use one of these other platforms that are competing with them now. So
0: pretty frustrating. Yeah. Question number one I had was you and I liked another platform that was actually sold into stockpile. That's how I got to stockpile was through another platform that I liked. Um, and we even interviewed the creator of that. The name escapes me. It's been a number of years since stockpile bought them. But now if you're doing the, the birthday gift to your nephew thing and you want to give a little bit of stock, do you know any of those competing platforms now? I don't. I mean, I don't either. We're
1: just putting it at the big custodian now, you know, where the rest of the kid's money is. So that's kind of our,
0: like a fidelity or TD Ameritrade, that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, yep, Schwab. So most of those places now allow you to do fractional shares so you can kind of do the same sort of deal, commission free, but it's not as cute as the setup was with Stockpile. Stockpile had a really cool interface, a really cool story that you could kind of use to teach your kids with. So if you know of something, send it along in a message.
0: On one hand, it feels like an opportunity for some other company, but if Stockpile couldn't make it work, it also makes me believe that maybe Maybe the math doesn't work out on this thing because it f- feels like, besides stockpile, nobody's been able to pick the lock yeah. on this. Giving a share, or giving two shares at a time to somebody. Well,
1: there used to be the company called One Share. Remember that?
0: Yeah, I do remember that. Yeah, you get the certificate.
1: Yeah, I've got a Disney. Home. I'm going to pan. I'll pan sideways here.
0: Look at that. There it is. Yeah, for those of you uh, watching our YouTube version of this. There it's it is. It's a Disney sack. There's
1: another couple in there, but uh, but that's a Disney one. And then I've got a DreamWorks one from before too. Uh, I, they're obviously not part of, they're not an individual company anymore, but the DreamWorks one has like Shrek like pulling his face over the bottom <laughs> of the cool. thing. That's cool. Yeah.
0: I, I love the shares, but even Stockpile at the end, you weren't getting, I mean, Stockpile, you weren't getting the, the actual shares.
1: Well, most companies don't issue. This was their shtick, right? It was like, we frame it and we send it and send it looks it really cool you. and it's like, you know- $80 you know, for one share right. of Disney, Total, but it includes totally a nice frame.
0: It. Yeah. It includes right. a nice frame. Frame included. No additional fee. Right. Yeah. Uh, we will link to this on our show notes page, plus all of the discussion, uh, bigger discussion around uh, college planning, money with kids, teaching your kids about saving. Brooke Miller has that covered in our newsletter, the 201, com slash 201, if you'd like to sign up for that. And I know, OG, oh, we have a referral program over there going on right now and uh, we're going to have some office hours here in August where people can just hang out with me. I know, pinch yourself, but ask all the questions you want. We'll talk about how
1: much. Do, how many people do you have to refer to not have to do that?
0: <laughs> can, I, can I refer six more so we
1: can skip the meetings? <sighs> Sorry, sir, you must appear on the Hangout. Like, no!
0: What is that Jim Gaffigan bit? Uh, I can't come to any meetings. <laughs> I don't know. com slash 201, though, if you want a deeper dive on this topic. Coming up next, Colin O'Brady is the man when it comes to uh, so much, so much in the way of endurance training, endurance sports. He is not only a former professional triathlete representing the United States in the ITU Triathlon World Cup, He's raced in 26 countries, six continents from 2009 to 2015. He was a commodities trader. He also, as I mentioned earlier in the show, broke the seven summit speed record, uh, climbing in a faster amount of time, the seven highest does summits. Does it include the travel time between them? I think it does. I think it's just calendar that from the time you, you begin to summit the first one to the time you end the you last declare, one. You declare, now I'm starting. You are done. So it's uh, cool. he also did the 50 U.S. high points in 21 days. Man, I just flew by Whoa. Mount Rainier, e- even on a plane. I was in the North Cascades, and those mountains look incredibly huge OG, and they're half the size of Rainier. I'm looking up at these things. I'm like, wow, those are tall. Oh, they're 7,000 feet, half a Rainier.
1: Mm-hmm. And, and like just the width of it, the breadth of it. It's just like on the horizon, you're like,
0: what is that thing? <laughs> like, oh. That's a volcano. It's also amazing to me that you don't see it much of the time. Like the number of times I've been in Seattle and you just don't, you can't see it. And then when you see it, it's right there. Like yeah, it is. Yeah, it looks
1: right there. Yeah. Yes. That, that's Two hours true. away,
0: but. Good point. Anyway, back to our guest, Colin O'Brady. The mountain's out. That's what people yes. say in the Northwest. <laughs> Colin O'Brady coming up next. But uh, Doug, I think you got us some trivia to get us there.
2: Hey there, stackers. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. You know, money's like oxygen. Some people pay a lot of it to climb Mount Everest so they can suffocate. <laughs> I like it down here in the basement where I can breathe easy as long as Joe hasn't had tacos for lunch. You know what I mean? But you know, people have even gotten married up on that mountain. That Maybe an idea for anyone hoping to disinvite relatives to the ceremony. So my question is, how many weddings have there been on Mount Everest? We'll be back with the answer after I go huff an oxygen tank. No reason.
0: Well, you know, what I think about Navy Federal, I think about the veterans that have done so much for our country. And I also think about some of our active service members. I want to say a special shout out to... Uh, My nephews, Colin and Nathan, who are both in the Navy. Colin is stationed outside Seattle, Washington on a submarine. And my nephew, Nathan, is in South Africa as an air traffic controller. And in Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants you also to celebrate members, many of whom go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals, it's all branches of the military, veterans, DoD employees, and their family are eligible for Navy Federal membership. They offer 24/7 help from their U.S. based member service. Visit NavyFederal.org/celebrate to see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, equalizing lender. the next generation of personal finance apps. So what is it? Monarch is the top rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now, because you're a stacker, you'll get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash benjamins. Well, you'll see when you try out the 30-day free trial. Go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H dot com slash Benjamins for your extended 30-day free trial.
2: Hey there, stackers. I'm into bed climber and ice cream endurance athlete, Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. You thought your wedding was expensive? Well, imagine getting married on the tallest mountain on Earth. It can cost a hundred grand just to make it to the top. Destination weddings piss everyone off, but I swear to God, if you invite me to your wedding on Mount Everest, we're definitely donezo. So, how many weddings have there been? Just one. <laughs> That's a couple that began their marriage on a high note, huh? Anyway, let's say hello to a guy who's been to the top of Everest twice, along with Antarctica and most of the high peaks in the world, Colin O'Brady.
0: And I'm my dad's Shortwave Radio. It's my new friend, Colin O'Brady. How are you, man?
3: I'm great, man. It's so fun to be here in your uh, mom's basement. <laughs>
0: I'm so happy. I'm sure it's the pinnacle of your career, Colin, spending time in mom's basement.
3: It's great. It's great to be here.
0: I want to ask you this because we have so many important things to talk about, but I was on my walk this morning and my spouse, Cheryl, had some questions. Now, she hasn't read your work. I'm telling her this exciting story about who you are, and she's super geek that you and I are going to have this conversation, but she asked me two questions. Question number one is, have you ever thought about running the Barclay?
3: Uh, yeah, I have never run it. it it's quite a, a crazy race that, that that, Netflix documentary certainly tells a one wild tale. I've had a few friends, uh, participate over the years, but, um, hasn't made it on my bucket list yet, but, um, more power to everyone who wants to get out and, uh, rip their legs up across thorns on a hundred miles <laughs> and uh, a crazy race. So.
0: <laughs> well, I don't know. After all the pain you've been through, Colin, it seems like your kind of
3: thing. I know, it's, it's funny. Uh, you would think, I'm like, yeah, you know, I walked across an Arctic solo for 54 days. So maybe the Barclays just took like one or two days, right? Well, it seems like a lot easier. Uh, you know, pros and cons are to each their own, I suppose. Uh, never say never. Yeah. So
0: uh, that was question number one. And by the way, for people that don't know what the Barclay is, and Colin, you referenced it, a wonderful documentary on Netflix, uh, which is The Race That Eats Its Own. And it's this ugly, ugly race around Knoxville, Tennessee, and uh, just a crazy event. But, But the second thing she asked, which I should know the answer to, I could even look this up, but she thought I should ask you. You obviously saw penguins when you were in Antarctica, but are there polar bears in Antarctica? That's Cheryl's big question.
3: Yeah, that's so funny. I get that question all the time. And I usually get it from uh, not to belittle you or your wife, because I get it from adults, but I always make people feel better because I get it from <laughs> second and third graders as well. Good. And Perfect. the uh, question I always ask is, uh, why don't polar bears eat penguins? And it's because there are no polar bears in Antarctica and there are no penguins in the North Pole in the Arctic. So it gets commonly confused in our brains because they seem very similar, but turns out they're on opposite sides of the world from each other. But the other thing is I not only walked solo across Antarctica, the first to do that, but I rode a boat across Drake Passage, the most dangerous ocean in the world. Uh, so in our open-hole rowboat, me and a crew of guides were the first person, first people in history to do that. 40-foot swells, you know, freezing cold temperatures, icebergs, etc. And we did, as we approached Antarctica, saw a ton, a ton of penguins jumping off icebergs. Uh, it, w- it was a welcome sight after all we had been through in the middle of the ocean for so many days. But on the interior of Antarctica walking across... There's actually no wildlife. There's nothing. There's nothing, nothing to see in the interior. Yeah, I mean, basically, it's teeming with life on the edges because there's sea life and you know stuff to eat. But on the interior, theres I was in the interior for 54 days crossing solo. No penguins, no birds, no, no uh, plants. No, I mean, nothing. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Uh, nothing lives out there. It's a pretty wild, desolate, white, endless abyss. By the way, your
0: story about crossing the Drake Passage, we'll let people read it in your book, but they need to read it because... I felt like I was going to throw up reading about that myself. <laughs> you're cramped in a storm, you guys smell like dudes who haven't showered because you're dudes who haven't <laughs> showered and eating a bunch of raw fish and just oh, just nasty. But but I don't want to talk about that. Let's begin kind of where your book begins, Colin, because you start off with this quote from Thoreau that's oftenly misquoted, which is which is what?
3: Uh, The Mass of Men Lead Lives of Quiet Desperation, and then it's often misquoted in people's minds. I don't know how it kind of tipped into the zeitgeist of people's brains, but I actually like the misquote as well, which is the Mass of Men Lead Lives of Quiet Desperation and die with their songs still inside of them. Uh, That second half, I think, is not actually attributed to Thoreau, but it certainly makes a nice pairing for that, which is really a a message about... I believe, you know, I fundamentally believe that as humans, we have masterpieces to paint inside of us. I believe we have reservoirs of untapped potential to achieve extraordinary things, not least of which is fulfillment and depth and family and community, but of course, financial freedom, um, and external success, uh, what, however you want to paint that, but. Too often, I don't think we, we kind of get stuck in our lives and we don't, don't really know how to get out of our own ways. I've come to sort of think of life a little bit of this scale of one to 10, uh, kind of one being our low lows, like that cramped time on the boat, like you experienced, experiencing <laughs> and you're talking about Drake passage and 10 being our high highs, right? The, the day your first child is born, falling in love, having a big uh, success in business, uh, you know, it could be anything, but you know, we know what those peak moments of life are, high highs, right? And too often, I think people get stuck between this zone, what I call the zone of comfortable complacency between four and six, just kind of like, you know, our days are just, you know, fives, five. So it's like, not bad, you know, you got a job, it's fine, not bad, you know. You, maybe a relationship, it's not bad, it's fine, but you know, a lot of just days right in the middle. It's not to say you never want to be in the middle, but I do think that asking that question, you know, what do I want to do? What do I want to achieve? What's actually gonna light me up? What's gonna fulfill me? Sometimes that question is scary, right? And just like in investing, you got to take on some risk if you want the reward, right? That, you know, you don't have to be the craziest risk profile ever, right? But you got to take a little bit of risk. And, And when I frame that in the ones and tens, it's to say, when I think about my tens, more often than not, I realize they're connected to my ones. I've actually had to experience some ones or go through some difficulty or some challenge or take on some risk to experience those high highs. And if we're so worried about hedging against having any discomfort in our life, particularly in our modern society, it's easy to just kind of be stuck at that five. And so in my new book, The 12-Hour Walk, as well as you know, just throughout my life, I highly encourage people, and The 12-Hour Walk is actually a single-day prescription to step outside that comfort zone <laughs> and to, to feel those ones, but also, more importantly, the tens.
0: Well, and hold on, and I want to get there in a second, but by way of a story that you tell at the beginning of your book, because you would think that these titans, especially in New York City around Wall Street these captains of industry, that they would have lived these 10s and 1s, and yet you went and spoke to a bunch of them and used this to kick off your book, with this unlikely group of people, Colin, unlikely group of people who've never thought about this big question that you posed to them.
3: Yeah, I do a lot of public speaking. I have made my way in my career in a somewhat untraditional context. I, I do have an economics degree from Yale, but by way of a low-income public school in Portland, Oregon. So I probably shouldn't have even ended up there in the first place. But great education. Most of my friends were getting jobs on Wall Street. I, I dipped my toe in that for about uh, you know 10 months at one point early in my 20s. But mostly I've been on this path of being a professional athlete, an author, speaker, etc., and And for many years, that was not super lucrative. And I'm fortunate at this point, I, it has turned to be quite lucrative for myself. But that's never been the end goal for me. The goal has always been following my heart and figuring out how to also follow my heart and turn that into financial freedom. But I found myself, and where I opened the book, you say, I I find myself speaking in a room full. I'm I'm speaking at a big conference about 500 Wall Street guys, but they invite me the night before to this um, kind of intimate dinner. There's, I don't know, eight or so people there in this fancy, super fancy Manhattan apartment I opened with kind of a funny story. They're they're looking at me like this young kid wearing a black T-shirt and jeans, and the doorman's telling me, like, you're not not, not invited here. I'm like, I'm pretty sure I'm on the list. (laughs)
0: That's what I was thinking, dude. I'm like, why would you choose a t-shirt and jeans? Even, even I know that. And I'm, I live in Texarkana, Texas, and I know that I wouldn't have shown up in a t-shirt and jeans.
3: You know, that's the way I always do it. I come as I am, authentic. I've spoken on stages for thousands and thousands of people, the biggest companies in the world: Nike, Adidas, uh, Amazon, Google, etc and i don't show up wearing a suit and tie, but uh true to form, I did that in that instance, and that might that may have been the one moment where that was a bad idea because I walked <laughs> in a room full of you guys in you know tailored Armani suits and what hundred thousand dollar watches or whatever, but they did let me in, and I was I guess somewhat the guest of honor, at least they had invited me there to share some stories with them about my adventures, et etc. You know an interesting conversation ensued with these guys. One of my favorite questions to ask people, and I've asked this to through my, I have a nonprofit where I've you know, millions of students have been in, through over time. You know, young elementary school kids doesn't matter the age, old young. I love to ask this question, which is, "What's your Everest?" And it's for me to say, I, my childhood dream was climbing Mount Everest, and I've been fortunate to to get to the summit of that mountain twice now in my life. But I just love to ask the question to kind of open up people's minds. And I asked the question to this room full of incredibly, you know, CEOs, titans of industry, you know, multi-hundred-plus million, billionaire, Wall Street guys, and the room goes silent. It just goes silent, and I'm kind of like, oh, did I say something weird? And they kind of, you know, it's like there's no awkward pause in the whole dinner except for this moment. And we brush past it. I mean, we've all been in that moment where something something comes up, and you uh, oh, let's just talk yeah. about something else, and you just kind of deflect, past
0: deflect. It. Yeah, yeah,
3: exactly. But at the end of the night, I'm about to take the elevator down and, and to go back to my hotel that evening. One of that gentleman, an older gentleman, I peg him at 75, 80 years old, something like that kind of pulls me aside and grabs me by the arm gently and says, Hey, I just want to say something. I really appreciate you asking that question, but I'm sorry that none of us gave you a proper answer. And then, I mean, in, in any other context, this have been full of sort of bluster or, or I don't know, it felt out of place, but he was just being honest. He said, you know, vulnerably. I've made more money than you can ever possibly imagine, but I never took time to ask myself that question. And I, in my go back in my mind to being a 14 year old kid at summer camp on a rowboat he was talking about it in the Catskills and tells me this kind of scene. And he's like, I miss that moment, that piece. And now I'm, you know, an old man at the end of my days. And I wonder what would have happened had I had the gumption to ask myself this question. And he kind of leaves it there, but it's a moment of someone who externally. You know, the classic, the classic sort of archetype of someone who's made it all, who's done it all, who's made all of the money, still vulnerably sharing with me, saying, Hey, you know, I may have missed a few things along the route. And the, and the point of the story, and it really stuck with me, and obviously I opened my book for a reason because it really stuck with me there, but I think it it's an important thing to say. It's not that this guy was saying, hey, I wish I hadn't made any money in my life, right? It's not to vilify money. There's even, in fact, a chapter in my book that is all about how people can cultivate abundance in their life no matter where they're starting from. I started from nothing and I've cultivated abundance. I'm proud of that. But it was more the how and then the why, that deeper fulfillment question. Because I think at the end of our days, that's really ultimately what you look back and reflect on. And this guy was in this tender moment sharing with me that he got getting towards the end of his life And had, you know, some ways that if he could go back and do it differently, he may have.
0: Just maybe remember a time with my high school track coach who really took somebody that was a lot of rough and not very much diamond and, 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 (laughs) and, and polished up the little diamond that was there and made me into a runner that was able to get a college scholarship, which was surprising to me. But I remember on our way to our state meet and him telling me that he always wanted to be a singer and he'd never done it. And he regretted it. And he still had regretted it. And it just hit me hard, Colin, kind of like this guy hit you that here's a guy who I saw as, you know, a cornerstone of my success. And for a lot of kids around me, their success. And he had this thing that he always regretted not doing. And I even asked him then, I'm like, why, why didn't you do it? Kind of like you asked the guy, like, why, why, why aren't you doing it now? He goes, oh, it's too late. And I remember thinking yeah. it's never too late. It's not, come on, man, come on, let's do that. It,
3: it's never too late. And furthermore... There's this classic thing about our identity that forms over time that, you know, I don't know when it exactly forms, but sometime in our 20s or 30s, we start to be like, this is the type of person that I am. It's funny. Kids don't have this. And I've asked, you know, kids this question. What's your Everest? And a gymnasium full of 500 kids. I get 500 hands raised in there. Calling my Mount Everest (laughs) to be the first person in my family to graduate from college or... To, to get the snow leopards off the endangered species list, you know? Then I ask high school kids a few, a little bit fewer hands. I ask, you know, college kids a fewer hands. I ask adults, you know, middle-aged adults, way fewer hands. And what I realize is I have this concept that I call the possible mindset, what I think of an empowered way of thinking that unlocks a life of limitless possibilities. And we're born with this, actually. We are born with thinking our life has these limitless possibilities, but life over time as we get to adulthood and middle age kind of starts to box this in the identity piece is you, you know your track coach saying well I'm not a singer and I realized you can just add one one word to the end of that sentence it changes everything I'm not a singer yet Yes, I'm not a singer yet yes I haven't done it yet, yet right I haven't done it yet. And again, I won't get into the whole story, but, you know, from the book, I, I share a story of, you know, setting that goal to row a boat across Drake Passage and then actually realizing like, well, I've actually never rowed a boat ever anywhere. Discovery Channel's filming me. They're doing big documentary. I'm leaving in three months. Like, hey, by the way, guys, you know, just, just letting let you know, I've, before I set out to row the most challenging ocean in the world, I've already committed to it. I'm leaving in three months. I've actually never rowed a boat ever anywhere. So, you know, I've got a few things to learn. Um, and that might sound reckless and extreme, but the point is, is I like to point out, look, Kobe Bryant yeah, at some point shot his first basket. You know, Meryl Streep tried out for her school play. You know, Stephen King sat down and penned a few, you know, sentences or a few paragraphs together before he wrote 64, the best selling books of all time. Like, we are all novices. And just because you're a certain age at this moment in time doesn't mean you can't go back and become a beginner again, particularly if that's, uh, you know, to the misquote, the quote, if that's the song that's still inside of you.
0: Well, and I'm thinking about, as you're talking, I'm thinking about these kids in this gymnasium where you're talking, you know, and they want to be president or a firefighter or an astronaut. And then you get to a room of 50 year olds and they want a 3% raise and maybe a little, you know, one level bump up at the huge corporation. They're in. You're like, right. why did, when did our goals get, get so, so small, but you found yourself in this particular spot yourself. You are in the same malaise, Colin, that we're all in during the pandemic. It sounds like you hadn't changed your pajamas in like three days, just another, <laughs> another day. When when you decide to do this thing, so tell me where this idea of a 12-hour walk came from.
3: Yeah, so going back a little bit, when I was walking across Antarctica solo, 12 hours ended up being my, my normal day. And that's because I was trying to cross something called – no one had ever done it in history – solo – but also unsupported. So no resupplies of food or fuel. So I started out by dragging a 375 pound sled. Basically it's full of as many protein bars as I could fit in there, which honestly was still not enough from, from day one, I was on a 3000 calorie deficit. I was burning 10,000 calories a day. And I quite literally, if I brought enough food to feed myself properly, it'd be a thousand pound sled and I couldn't pull it. So, I mean, I was kind of like, it's like kind of like watching like the shot clock, like tick down, like every bite of food, every calorie in my sled, it's like, I'm going to run out at some point. And people have attempted this crossing someone died attempting the crossing people have run out of food and had to be rescued people thought it was impossible well you
0: you said also colin by the way that you had trouble initially yourself adapting to the cold the first couple days
3: Oh, I mean, yes, I literally, uh, in, in my previous book, uh, called the impossible first, I, there's a whole chapter that's literally called frozen tears because the first few days I was so down on myself. I could barely pull my side. I was crying out there, but when it's minus 30, minus 40 degrees outside, turns out the tears, they freeze your face, which <laughs> if you already didn't feel pathetic enough crying alone, then when the tears freeze your face, that's like the all time most pathetic <laughs> feeling ever. I can't, e-
0: I can't even cry. I can't even cry. Yeah.
3: <laughs> so anyway, so twelve hours ends up being kind of my day of pulling the sled, which absolute edge of, of my sort of physical capacity. But I made it to the other side of Antarctica just barely, literally in the last last bite of food, more or less. Like you know, kind of if I hadn't gone twelve hours, a day I wouldn't have made it. But what happened was there was intense competitiveness. There's a whole other story about a guy who I was racing out there. I made it there first. But what I was left with as my body declined, as I lost all this weight, as there was frostbite on my face, was actually this deep sense of clarity. In my own body, mind, and spirit, I actually found these sort of deep meditative flow states of strength and clarity and fulfillment, connection to my family, you know, infinite love for community. Like I just kind of felt just really, really lit up kind of spiritually in my mind, body, and soul. So when I got back, I was like, I got it. I've got it. I, I've kind of found this place in my mind and I can always go back there. And for for a while that was true. And then a couple years later, you know, I had had some other successes along the route, but the pandemic hit. And I think we all remember March, April 2020, yeah, right? Like just yeah. no, no matter who you are, where you were on the planet, your life was disrupted. And it was a scary time. I mean, it still is in some regard, but certainly a scary time in that moment. Like borders are closing and people are dying and how bad is this thing and stay in your house, you know, and all this kind of, you know, everything you got going on is canceled. What's happened with career, work, money, you know, just so much uncertainty, right? And I found myself in in a pretty dark headspace during this period of time. I was on the Oregon coast um, where my family has a small house, just my my wife, my dog, and us kind of locked up in this house. And as you point out, my wife finally looked at me one day. She says, you know, you haven't changed out of pajamas in three days. You've been sitting <laughs> on the couch. She calls it doom scrolling the news. Like I'm just scrolling another headline. This many people have died. This this is closed. This isn't how, you know, just like, you know, just your body's just full of just, this tension and anxiety. I mean, look, that was. I think we can all, you know, we've all probably been there. So anyways... I say to her, you know, the last time I felt really good, weirdly enough, was in Antarctica, even though that was on the edge of my physical and emotional limit. There was something about the silence and the solitude of being out there. You know what I'm going to do tomorrow? I'm grasping at straws here. I'm being honest. I'm going to go for a walk outside 12 hours by myself. My wife just kind of looks at me like, cool, have fun. I'll see you around dinner time, whatever. And And I think that, Colin, just
0: metaphorically, we all felt like we were in that place. Like, I would love just, you know, I feel like I'm kind of alone already, but damn, I just, just turning everything off and going out on a long walk.
3: Yeah. So what ends up happening is I I walk out my front door. I'm walking for about 20 minutes. My phone buzzes in my pocket. You know, buddy of mine is texting me or something like that. Pull my phone out instinctively to text him back or whatever. And I'm like, wait a second. Like, what am I doing? Like I'm out here on a walk. I said, I want to be alone. Like I'm gonna put my phone on airplane mode. So I end up putting my phone on airplane mode and walk for 12 hours, no music, no podcasts. you know, nothing. And I'm just me alone in my thoughts. And it ends up being a great experience, but I get back in the front door. I take breaks. I sit down, whatever. You know, it's not like I'm just like, you know, crushing miles. But, you know, I, I'm out there alone the whole time. And I walk back in the front door. And as I get back in my front door, my dog first jumps up on me. And my wife sees me. She looks over and she goes, you're back. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I told you I was coming back. And She goes, no, no, no. You're back. Like she could see in me that just like my spirit was back. And I was like, yeah, I gotta be honest. I feel better than I felt in a in a very long time. But I thought, I'll be honest, I was like, look, I'm the guy who walked across Antarctica and has these world records and this and that. Like maybe just this is like a me thing. I didn't think it was like a, you know, for a nephew for anybody else. But during COVID, as we all did, tons of friends, colleagues, you know, friends, neighbors, etc. going through really tough times as well, just kind of stuck in their own bodies, minds, souls. And I started just sharing with people, hey, you know. I don't know if this interests you, but I did this 12-hour walk. And before I know it, dozens of people in my inner community started taking this walk. People of all different ages, background, my 77-year-old mother-in-law, what that walk looked like for her was one time around her block, then sitting on her front porch for an hour, still maintaining her silence and solitude, and then walking another time. So I always tell people the 12-hour walk, it, it doesn't matter if you go one mile or 50, it doesn't, you know, this is not a race, but this is you tapping into the own power of your own mind. And I've never known a single person to not take to take the twelve hour walk and not have a massive benefit. So the new book, at its core, is this call to action, the, this invitation. But the book itself is about outlining the common limiting beliefs that we all have through rich storytelling, through stories of adventure. But I'm sure there's somebody listening to this podcast right now that goes, "Yeah, that sounds like a great idea," but I don't have enough time. And that, no, I address that in the book.
0: <laughs> well, no, no, no. Wait a minute, Colin. So you know the book, obviously called the Twelve Hour Walk. I kind of know that's where you're going, but I think it's a metaphor. I had no idea that you were challenging us. So I get like a third of the way in and I immediately, you know, as I'm reaching for another donut, I'm like, oh, oh yeah, that sounds cool. Yeah, not me. (laughs) 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 I'm, I'm, I'm out and then I'm like, no, he is really challenging all of us. And I'm like, okay, challenge accepted, man.
3: I love it. I love it. Yeah, what I find interesting is even just the suggestion of it, whether you're reading the book for the first time and it's suggested to you, or you're listening to this podcast and you're hearing this idea for the first time, the book is about conquering our minds. And I say, invest one day, conquer your mind, unlock your best life. And what I found is it's been massively transformational for people. But the 12 hours actually, interestingly enough, starts right in this moment. Of course, committing to it, taking the walk, that's powerful. But just in this moment right now, I'm holding up a mirror to you, just like I'm holding up a mirror to you, Joe, when you're reading the book and you're going, wait, he's actually asking me to do this? And your mind goes somewhere real quick. You're like, wait, wait, me? And we start coming up with these excuses, right? I don't have enough time. I don't have enough money. I don't don't like being uncomfortable. What if I fail? What if someone criticizes me? These are common things that we all have looping in our brain. But this moment, just the suggestion of it is an interesting thing because I like to say I'm holding a mirror up to you. And most likely I found whatever limiting beliefs you're applying to the 12-hour walk are most likely the same limiting beliefs that keep coming up in your brain over all sorts of opportunities and all sorts of windows and doors that you could go through that would actually change your life in a positive way. And so if you are the, if you have the gumption to be like, okay, I don't have enough time, but you know what? You reprioritize your time. You take this day, you get the babysitter, you, you get your your spouse to look after the kids for the day and you and you go and you do this and it's positive for you. Well, you realize you look back, you go, "Oh, that limiting belief that popped up before that—that that was just a belief. That's not a limiting fact or a limiting truth. I can rewrite this narrative in my own mind." And so, the twelve-hour walk, the book, of course, is is prescriptive in a lot of ways and shares a lot of advice. But what the magic is is the experience itself imprinting on you in a viscerally felt somatic way—a lesson that you can take not just by reading words on a page. But the birds on the page are interesting, but by having this experience yourself, that deeply imprints the lessons.
0: The series of dominoes, Colin, that went on in my head, to your point, was was incredible. Oh no, 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 not me. I can't. And then I and then, you know, then the competing thought, which was you out on the ice in Antarctica when you're head to head with this guy. And you're like, why not me go another hour? Why not me move from 10 to 11 hours and 11 to 12? I was like, why not me walk 12 hours? Why why not? Of course I can. And I immediately had to check myself. But had you not challenged me, I never would have. Like I totally... Never would have. I would have been like, nope, another donut, not doing that.
3: <laughs> and look, I, I, this literally is meant to meet people wherever they are at in this moment. It's not something to train for. Like I said, take as many breaks as you yeah. want, rest. What well, the biggest challenge for people I've found is just turning the phone off and being alone, in your own thoughts for 12 hours, right? But that's powerful. And it's not to vilify technology and say, now throw away your phone and become a monk. You know, that's not what I'm saying here. It's just, A day, a day of reset in our mind, resets our creativity, resets the balance, resets our priorities, and ultimately allows us to conquer our mind in a really powerful way um, from all the people that I've known to do it.
0: Yeah. And the book, again, is called The 12-Hour Walk, Invest One Day, Conquer Your Mind, and Unlock Your Best Life. It is a challenge to all of us, but it also is conquering your limiting beliefs and uh, you walk through them one by one and just knock them down. Last question, and this just kept coming up, you in a storm. You walking across Antarctica, you on uh, Everest. I'm thinking about all of these times. And I'm thinking, is there a time more than any other where you thought, maybe I pushed it too far? Like, maybe this is it. Maybe I'm in over my head.
3: Yeah, I'm not sure how far you got in the book, um, but uh, chapter eight goes pretty deep on this, um, which is I... uh, I lose some friends in a bad climbing accident, and my intuition um, of all things high up on the mountain in K2 in Pakistan in the middle of winter actually saves me. But the long story short is, it, is there is an edge. It's not always about pushing further and faster, and even you know, full circle as a concluding thought, that, that's what the 12-hour walk is. It's a moment to reflect. It's not a moment to do some crazy thing and blow up your whole life on the other side of it. It's just a moment to reflect, to make some reorientation. Even if it's a few degrees one way to the right, a few degrees to the left or the right, that can have huge, huge ripple effects over a full life.
0: Well, now I'm, now I'm excited to read the second half of the book. Although, <laughs> there's a pit in my stomach already as I, as I get to that point. Colin, thanks for spending some time with us and, and helping us all be a little more brave. I appreciate it.
3: Thank you so much.
1: Hey, I'm Rob Berger. When I'm not rolling in the dough, that's right. I'm stacking Benjamins.
0: Big thanks to Colin O'Brady for stopping by. That guy, OG, fairly close to having the same endurance you do. Yes, it's
1: about the same. I mean, if he worked out just a smidge more.
0: I was going to ask him, have you ever Pelotoned? For, 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 At
1: least <laughs> three days a month for in, four in years.
0: Your bed, in your bedroom, Colin? Have you ever done that, huh? Antarctica? Yeah.
1: Yeah, <laughs> easy. Try doing a ride with Robin Arzan.
0: Forty-five What's whole minutes. <laughs> I don't know if you could make it, Colin. I'm just telling you, it was it was difficult. We did that uh, one climb near the end where we had the mm-ts, mm-ts, sixteen mm-ts, vertical mm-ts, feet mm-ts, 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 going <laughs> sixteen feet. All right, let's throw with David Lifeline and tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency, OG, they put what you value first.
1: Uh, air conditioning.
0: Yes, correct. This time of year, all these days, over 100 degrees. And you know what? The air conditioning might help you live a little longer, which might bring your insurance premium down. I don't know that that's a fact. Not sure if there's any science behind that. Sounds right. Yes. However, Hashtag science. application is simple. It's online. You get an instant coverage decision. Prices are affordable. All policies issued by their parent company, Mass Mutual, more than 160 year old insurer. You know, you need insurance. Let's get this done, Stackers. And the reason we've partnered with Haven Life for so long is because these guys are best in class, just a fantastic term life insurance company. Today, we actually got a letter in here to the basement. A letter. And by the way, when you send us a letter, that's very nice. However, the way to get some swag is to shoot us a voicemail, stackybenjamins.com slash voicemail. This comes to us from a listener, Robert. Robert says he's 57 years old. He has both traditional and Roth 401k options from his employer. In the past, he's been splitting his contributions between the two, the Roth and the traditional about 50, 50 just to get some immediate tax savings and to get the future tax free growth because he doesn't know where tax rates are going to go. In total, it has about $1.6 million, and it's overall right now about 20% Roth, 80% taxable. And he's wondering if he should change it here to 100% traditional because he's 57, and he should probably take the tax win today, or if he should continue that mix if there's any other considerations besides what he's mentioned above that. He's heard rules of thumb like if you're young, then 100% Roth, but if you're older, and your income's at the highest tax rate than 100% traditional. His income for his family is about 170000 and they're on the older. So he's thinking he falls kind of between the two. So that's where his 50-50 split comes from. What are you thinking about that, OG? Does he he keep the split? Does he go all Roth? Does he go all traditional?
1: This is the interesting debate about this because there's no way to know whether or not your tax decisions are going to be correct until you know 15 years from now when you get to find out whether or not your tax decisions are correct. I think that having a combination gives you options. As you think about the future from a uh, withdrawal standpoint, future tax rates, we don't know what they're going to look like. But having the opportunity to take money from different places to kind of optimize whatever the situation happens to be in the year in which you need the money makes a lot of sense. And if you're kind of sort of on that 80-20 side right now, where only 20% of your savings are are tax-free and the other amount will be taxable or is right now, I guess, pre-tax, then uh, I could see a case being made for you know paying the tax bill now and going, going 100% Roth because any matching contributions will be pre-tax, assuming that you get some of those. And with the amount of money that you can put in with the catch-up contributions you know, you'll you'll start piling it on that there's not a lot of years left. I don't know how many years you plan on working, maybe, you know, another eight or 10 years. So if you put in 25000 a year for 10 years, you know, you might get to another 250 k of contributions. But in reality, from a percentage standpoint, that's still going to be a relatively small percentage of your overall total. So if you can afford the taxes, because that's the other side of it, you know, if you're contributing money pre-tax, you're getting a tax break today, which allows you to kind of Get more bang for your buck as it relates to cash flow today. You know, without doing that, you're gonna have another, you know, give or take, probably eight, ten thousand dollars in taxes, maybe more, depending on your state or local area. So you got to be able to kind of cash flow that. That's kind of a consideration. And then other areas where you're gonna have future income. If your future income is basically 401k money and pension or social security, then I like the idea of of going Roth if you can pull it off.
0: Go Roth if you can pull it off. Hashtag Bam. TM. I think that's just a good hashtag for uh, anybody. I really like what uh, David McKnight, tax expert David McKnight said, OG, when he was on the show, which is that if you just do the math, if you just do the math, that tax rates have to go up, that they have to go up. I mean, there's there, there just is no way around this. Well, there is another uglier way around this this, this deficit that the government has, but assuming that they're going to try to solve the problem in a different way than just by devaluing a currency, well, then you have to take care of it by raising taxes. And if that's the case, then the Roth IRA makes a lot of sense if tax rates are going to go up in the future, but it also makes sense even if they stay the same, right? I mean, if they stay the same- sure, and you're also
1: betting on the fact that they don't ever change the Roth rules, which- you know? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like who knows? Right. I mean, that's the point I think is what you're making is we don't have any idea what the future is going to be. And we can kind of sort of get a sense of, Hey, I think over the next couple of years, it might look like this. But if you're 57, we don't have any idea what it's going to look like in 2062. You know, I mean, how many elections are there? How many, you know, what, what's going to happen over the next 40 years? And you'll still be in your nineties, taking money out of your 401k at that time. So I think flexibility is really kind of the name of the game. And if you're looking at your investment accounts this year, of course, they're down a little bit. This kind of also puts in the, you know, should I contribute a little bit faster? You know, the market's down a little bit. Can I afford to pull forward some of those contributions that I would normally have spaced out throughout the year? Take advantage of it. It's down a little bit. Maybe it it makes sense. You've been doing pre-tax this whole time. Flip it to Roth because if you believe as I do that the market will eventually recover that recovery, even just getting back to quote unquote, even money, that recovery is a plus 20%, right? So that first, you know, that's all tax free if you do it as Roth contributions, right? So, you know, you can kind of get a little tactical with it if you want, but if you just kind of read the tea leaves, like you're saying, it seems like you have to assume that you're going to be paying some taxes in the future. And if you have a place that presently allows you to not have Taxes when you take the money out sounds like a pretty sweet deal.
0: Yeah, sure does. Thanks for the question, Robert. By the way, if you want to uh, have OG answer a question, of course you can also send us a message. However, the way to really, really have some fun and get some sweet stacking Benjamin swag is to head to stacking Benjamins.com slash voicemail. And uh, Robert could have left this as a voicemail and he would have scored a shirt but still, thanks for that question, Robert. That's why one of two ways to get free swag. Oh, gee, the other one is, of course, referring people to the two hundred and one uh, newsletter. So,
1: by free swag, you mean hanging out with
0: me? <laughs> that's that's the other that's the other thing. I got to speaking of hanging out with me, I got to keep I got to keep working on this. I'm I'm about to give a couple of financial planning speeches at a couple of uh, companies, and I'm uh, do tell. But those people, you know, I got to make it worth hanging out with me. I got to really, I got to focus on like making it so that I bring the wow. You know what I mean? You've been bringing the wow, Joe, for Just, as thank long you. as I've known you. Stop. Stop. Keep going. Stop. Keep going. Stop. Keep going. <laughs> uh, speaking of bringing the wow, if you want to bring the wow to your financial planning, bam, how about that, huh? Oh, that's good? Something. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, oh, if okay. you want to bring the wow to your financial planning, OG and his team are taking clients To think bigger about your financial goals, you need the right people in your corner. com slash OG gets you to their calendar, and that's the first step on the upgrade when it comes to thinking bigger about your money. All right. That's going to do it for today. Coming up on Wednesday, Amanda, we have a great show. OG, as usual, however, listen to this. The man behind our sister podcast, sister podcast, brother podcast, I don't know, Jordan Grummet, aka Doc G over at the Earn and Invest podcast has written a fantastic book called Taking Stock. I love this. As a guy who's, for those of you that don't know Doc G's background, don't know much about the Earn and Invest podcast, he is a hospice doctor and often works with people that, when you're a hospice doctor, OG, that means that you're you're facing the end of your life. And he's looking at the lens of how to live your life through the eyes of people that are at the end of their life. And man, there's some big big takeaways we're going to talk about on Wednesday, just like we did today with Colin O'Brady. Speaking of takeaways, Doug, what should we have learned today?
2: So what should we have learned today? First, take a lesson from Colin O'Brady. Take a walk. Better yet, challenge that voice inside of you saying, I'm not. Sure you aren't. Yet. Second, stockpile. Now that there's a monthly fee, it's probably time to find another option when gifting stock. But the big lesson, Mount Everest might be the perfect place to get married. I mean, you wouldn't be sweating in your tux. Chances are your mother-in-law wouldn't even be there. And if you ever need to get it annulled, you can just blame it on the lack of oxygen. Thanks to Colin O'Brady for joining us. His book, The 12-Hour Walk, is available at the top of Mount Everest or your favorite bookstore. One of those two is correct. I'll let you figure it out. This show is the property of SB Podcasts, LLC, copyright 2022, and is created by Joe Salcijai. Our producer is Karen Repine. The show is written by the brilliant Paulette Perhatch, with help from Joe, me, and Doc G from the Earn and Invest podcast. After you listen to our show, check out the 201 Deep Dives written by our website manager and blog editor, Brooke Miller. You'll find the 411 on all things money at the 201. Just go to stackingbenjamins.com slash 201. Once we bottle up all this goodness, we ship it to our engineer, the amazing Steve Stewart. Steve helps the rest of our team sound nearly as good as I do right now. Want to chat with friends about the show later?
0: Welcome to the after show. OG I've been doing some uh, traveling as you know and um, I got to say there's expensive entertainment and there is inexpensive entertainment. For expensive entertainment, have you been you've been to a Cirque du Soleil show, haven't you? Have we talked about this? I haven't I have not. I go to Vegas
1: for like tw- a 24-hour period. Yeah. That's about as much as I can take and I haven't been in years.
0: I agree. There's a podcast I've listened to for a long time called Giant Bomb. It's a video game podcast. And I remember one of their hosts saying that he loves Vegas, but here's his impression of Vegas. Day one. Oh man, this is cool. We can do so much. This is great. Day two is, wow, are there a lot of bright lights? <laughs> it feels like there's a lot of bright lights all the time. Man, it's loud here. Day three, I got to get the f*** out of here.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: like literally just doubt. And, and that is me every time in Vegas. I show up and I'm like, "Oh, I can't wait. This is so great." By the way, the big change in Vegas this time because Cheryl went with me to celebrate the end of end of the tour and uh that's what I want to talk about here with expensive entertainment, but um it smelled like, it smelled like weed. Oh, ex-
1: that kind of expensive entertainment.
0: Dude, the whole I was
1: thinking something completely different.
0: No, 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 no. no. I'm talking about Cheryl. Cyr- <laughs> no. No, I'm talking. To, I'm going to talk about Cirque du Soleil, which was expensive entertainment. However, I'll tell you this: I've never been on the Strip where it smelled so much like weed. Hmm. Just, I was getting a contact buzz just walking down the street. I could. Oh, shucks! And huh? by the way, you're like, ah, I was going to go.
1: I was going to go play some blackjack. I'm going gonna, gonna to go for a walk, kind of, kind of clear my head a little bit, sweetheart. Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, Renata K. Smith, who runs the choose fi phoenix group where we were where i was just before the tour stopped just before going to vegas warned me ahead of time she's like oh it smells like weed i'm like yeah i, I smell from time to time no it smells like weed period huh. but cheryl says hey we're going to see cirque du soleil and i wanted to see the beatles love after having daniel lamar on earlier this year the ceo you know longtime ceo of cirque du soleil and board member and his fantastic book, Balancing Acts," which I absolutely love. you know, we interview a lot of people, but I don't get to read many of the books end to end, and this book is just phenomenal about running a business, about uh, emotional competence, about um, lightening up your workforce so that you're able to actually do more, just powerful stuff and he He told stories here on the show about negotiating with the Beatles and also with MGM to change that theater at the Mirage, so I was really excited to see it well. We got there and Cheryl shows the guy the tickets and he goes, oh, you need to go down by Michelle because it's in, you know, section whatever, 102 or something. And so we walk down to Michelle, who's in the lower area. And then Cheryl goes, oh, I got to use the restroom. And so she leaves and Michelle goes, what, well, what row are you in? I'm like, I, I got no idea. So I'm hanging out with the woman from Cirque du Soleil who seats people. And she's like, have you ever been to a show? I'm like, yeah, this is my fourth one. And I might've had a couple of adult beverages in me by then. So I proceeded to start- And
1: a walk up and down the the
0: strip. (laughs) Right, right. So I (laughs) proceeded to-
1: You are getting it from both
0: sides. (laughs) I was like, in my head, I was saying, Michelle, I would like to uh, regale you with the discussion about uh, Daniel Lamar, your CEO who is on our podcast Instead, I'm sure I said, "Dude, dude." Should, there was What's this dude. Say? Sweet, sweet. What's mine say, dude? Oh man, she's thinking. Why does this guy smell like weed? <laughs> and his and his eyes are all red. No, but I had had a couple of adult beverages, and I'm and and I told her. Plus, I just I got to stand next to her anyway. And she asked. I'm like, Yeah, we have this podcast, and your CEO was on our show. And she's like great. Actually, what she should have said was your line, OG. She should have said, oh, crazy. Because you could tell she Weird. didn't care. She's like, oh, neat. Weird. Weird. Oh, cool, Wow. Cool. Cool. Oh, you have a podcast just like everybody else. Great. Fantastic. Oh, tell me all about your podcast. Please don't. Please, please don't. <laughs> That's crazy. So I stand with her for a little bit and then Cheryl comes back down. She's like, what are you standing here for? I'm like, oh, because you didn't share with us what, what role we're in. And she's like, oh, And then she hands the tickets to Michelle and we are first row right in front. And uh, Joe got a little teary eyed. I must Uh. say I was a little emotional, which was, I felt like a pansy on one end, but on the other side, it was just, it was a, it was a nice surprise to end that 40 cities. So that's expensive entertainment. Let me tell you cheap entertainment. The part that wasn't cheap was we're in Egypt and, and Jordan, but, we're, but we're, we're floating down the Nile, which is not cheap to do. That part's not cheap. However, my buddy Malcolm and I. I love the stories that start with. So there I was
1: floating down the Nile. As you do. Reenacting Moses.
0: As, you ever see Death on the Nile? Yes. Uh, there, there was a bar area on our boat. And because it was a hundred and scorching out, uh, we decided that we would sit in this bar area and I brought with me this little card game to Egypt that a friend of ours and 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 you met this guy in Atlanta. We had a fun event in Atlanta didn't we? Remember it was a really big mm-hmm. warehouse it was it was mm-hmm. kind of newish and the people uh, it was like a family run business. and we had I don't know 30 35 nice Atlanta based stackers there. But, uh, Joel brought a couple guys with him, but Joel also told me, he goes, Hey, I want to send you a couple games that my family plays. And I'm like, Oh, you really don't have to do that. But he did. When I got home, there were two games waiting for me. And one was this game called Tutto. So, you know, I've played a lot of games that I kind of, all right, I'll just take this. Cause it was really, it's just really small. It's got a little deck of cards and six dice in this little tiny box. I asked my buddy, Malcolm, if he wants to learn the rules with me. It takes us three minutes to learn the rules to this game, Tutto. It is a push-your-luck dice-rolling game. Super easy game. You just roll all six dice. If you roll a one or a five, it's, it's like Yahtzee where you take the die away and then you roll the rest. And if you crap mm-hmm. out, you know, you're done. So you kind of push your luck. Am I going to roll again or am I going to keep just what I got? So first thing you do is you turn over a card just to see what game you're playing, how many bonus points you get if you Tutto, which means you make all six dice count. Then you roll the dice. If it's a one or a five, you get to keep it. A one is 100 points. Five is 50. You play to 6,000 points. You play for a while. However, if you get a three of a kind, like twos, threes, fours, fives, that's 200, 300, 400, 500 points, 600. Ones, three ones, or a thousand. You got to roll them all in one roll. Otherwise, they don't count. But there's all these rules. There's one card where if you. Make all six dice count, which is called a tutto. If you do that twice, you just automatically win the game. Game's over, OG. <laughs> and it's super fun because one guy's winning, and then the person in last place turns over this card, and everybody, you know, later on, we're playing with six people, and everybody's leaning over the table because OG might win the game on this roll, even though he's in last place. Nice. And there's other cards, like a firework show. you got to get a straight. There's all this. It, it, is, it was so fun. My buddy Malcolm, who's every bit the game snob I, I am, wrote me when we got home. He texted me and said, hey, just got home, bought four copies of Tutto. Bought one for his house, one for his family cabin that he shares with brothers and sisters, one to give to his sister-in-law, and one to give to his son. He's like, I love that game. And every time we played this game, Tutto. So Joel, big shout out. That is very cheap entertainment. It's a T-U-T-T-O if you want to look it up. Okay. Super game. So- Big thanks to Joel. And by that. the way, way cheaper <laughs> than those front row. Than front row shows. To shows yeah. Yes. Yes. But both fun. So I've been told. Well, stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is military appreciation month. that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him